continuing in our sermon series, The Big Story. So we are going through the book of Ephesians, and we're talking about this big story that God has for us. Not the little stories that we live individually, or the little stories that we think we are supposed to find, but the big story that has been revealed in Scripture. That, uh, you know, I've been trying to argue this, this point uh, th- throughout this whole series, that the way we live a truly meaningful life is by hooking up our story with God's big story. And so naturally, as we have been talking about this stuff, I think it is very natural for us to talk about love. A lot of what we just read in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, 11 through 21, talks about the love of God. And so I wanted to ask you the question this morning, what is love? You guys know, what is love? We get so many messages about love. I know we think love is important, right? I mean, so many people talk about love. They say love is the most important thing. You know, this world would just be a much better place if everyone just loved each other, right? Amen? Yeah? But what is love? You know, sometimes I think, and and I, I put some pictures up there for you, that sometimes we make love a feeling. Love feels good. Love makes me happy. Love, you know, when you get like captured by love, when you fall into love, as we talk about it sometimes, it's like the easiest thing to do. You want to love this person. You want to be with them. You get obsessed with them. You can't stop thinking about them, right? Is that love? Well, yeah, it can be. At least love the emotion. But, you know, you probably know if you've spent any time in church, hopefully, that love is not just an emotion, right? So what is love? It can be an emotion, right? But it can also look like this. Jesus taking up the cross, right? Bloody and naked and humiliated. Martin Luther King Jr., um, one of my favorite U2 songs, it's a song called, In the name of love, what more in the name of love? And he he talks about Bono, wrote that song particularly about two people, Jesus and Martin Luther King Jr., right? That they did it all in the name of love. But, you know, here we have a picture of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. being arrested by the police, right? And uh, I also have a picture here of a family with an older parent uh, who is very sick. All of those things are love, too. Wouldn't you agree? But those things, a lot of them, probably didn't feel all that good at times, right? You know, we we talk about Jesus when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying for the Father to take that cup of suffering from him, talking about how it was overwhelming. Did that feel awesome? Did that feel awesome when they were putting nails through his hands and nails through his feet? You know, Martin Luther King Jr., do you think he's like, yes, let's get arrested, yes. It's how people turn dogs on me and unleash a torrent of water from a fire hydrant on me. Oh, ooh, it's going to feel like so good. You know, when you take care of a loved one who is ill, sick, or dying, you know, there's endless nights where you're with that person and it's agony. It's agony to see the person you love in agony. You know, and and you probably don't get much sleep. You probably are going to have to do some things, maybe clean up some very messy things. 
probably not going to feel awesome, right? Brothers and sisters, love is, I think, arguably, the most important thing in the world. I would agree with that. I don't think the Bible has any problem with that. But I think what I do have a problem with, or at least just in the case that I just don't think it's accurate, I don't think love always feels awesome. I don't think love is always easy. Otherwise, we would all do it, right? So when we talk about this world and we're like, man, why can't people just get along? Why can't people just love each other? Why can't people just respect each other? Why can't people just, you know, love like Jesus loved? Brothers and sisters, I think the reason is because of sin. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about sin not so much as uh, uh, like the bad things you do. That can be sin. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that those things aren't sin all the time. But sin, oftentimes in Scripture, is talked about as a sort of a different way of being. Right? We're talking about how uh, uh, Paul talked about the flesh versus the spirit. Right? And sometimes the word flesh, because we get a little twisted, we think that it's just talking about like physical stuff. But uh, sometimes your Bibles will translate the word flesh as sinful flesh or sinful nature. Right? It is your nature. It is the tendencies that we have. Right? And we have been trying to talk about sin not just as the bad things you do, but the way that it talks about in Greek is it's harmatia. It is missing the mark. It is not doing the things of God, not being in the places of God, not being the way God desires you to be. Therefore, you're missing the mark. You're missing the point. You're just kind of off. And the way that many of us experience sin is as spiritual deadness. If love is spiritual aliveness, then sin would be spiritual deadness. And brothers and sisters, I, I think that, you know, without being overly simplistic, um, I, I think if I'm being honest, and I think if a lot of us are being honest, when, when you ask yourself, why don't you love people? Why don't you love people who are difficult to love? Why don't you love people who hate you? And I think the answer is probably going to come down to some form of, because I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. Right? There's something within you that is driving you to not love. It's driving you to seek comfort. It's driving you to seek the things that are easy, the low-hanging fruit, the things that feel good. Right? So in order for us to love, something has to change. Something within your very nature needs to change. It is not going to always be natural. This kind of love, and the reason why the world takes notice when they see this kind of love, is because they do realize it's costly. Because we do realize that it isn't easy. Right? And so when Paul talks about love, I think it's more along this lines than the easy breezy, feels good, right? Just kind of frolicking on a beach kind of love. That can be, but that doesn't last. Right? Um, so let's take a look at the way that Paul talks about love and the importance of love in terms of this big story. So verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So 
Already here, we're talking about the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I just want to remind you, maybe some of you weren't here uh, for some of the earlier messages where we talked about what that eternal purpose is. Do you guys remember what that is? If you don't, you can look at Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. That is the eternal purpose. That is the big plan, the big story we've been calling it, right? Which is that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Doesn't that sound very similar to what we just read here? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the big plan, to unite all things, all people, uh, everything that is broken in this world in the love of Christ. Not just about you. Not just about you getting to heaven. It is about all of us being united to God in Christ. And so, um, in order to do that, brothers and sisters, we're told that we need some boldness. <laughs> we need access with confidence through our faith in Him. This is not going to be easy. So he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul here is acknowledging to live for this plan, to live for this purpose. Sometimes you're going to suffer. Paul certainly did. There are times where Paul was arrested, where Paul was in prison, where Paul was stoned. There's one story where he was preaching the gospel in a town that uh, uh, these people had followed him around and they didn't like his message. And so they followed him around and they ambushed him in this town and they stoned him. And it was so severe. Paul was just so severely beat up that they dragged him outside of the city and the other disciples were looking at Paul and they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Because they assumed he was dead. Like, where are we going to bury him? What are we going to do with his body? And Paul gets up and he's bleeding, right? He's like, like all messed up. Goes back inside the city and keeps on preaching the gospel. Crazy stuff, right? I bet Paul was like, man, this feels awesome. Oh my gosh, I'm so in love. <laughs> Probably didn't feel awesome, but he did it, right? So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. What I am suffering for you, this gospel that is meant to unite all people. It's a big story. It is worth suffering for. So don't lose heart because of me. I'm sure people looked at the stuff Paul was going through and were like, dang, Paul, dude, you okay? You're bleeding a little bit. Oh my gosh, like I'm so discouraged. I'm so discouraged. How could this happen to you? How could God allow this to happen to you? I thought God loved you, Paul. How come you're suffering so much? For Paul, he's going to go on and talk about love in a beautiful way. But I want us to recognize that for Paul, he knew the love of God. I really think he did. He preached the love of God. But he also suffered. He also went through a lot of hardship and difficulty. And those two things, the love of God and suffering, were not mutually exclusive for Paul. So I want to be very clear. When we talk about the love of God, it's not this like fuzzy, 
kind of like, I know sometimes we talk about this like kind of nonviolent, like very just like everyone just get along, like Care Bears, you know, just Kumbaya, just we are the world, everyone hold hands, and just just everyone just, just you know, just chill, everyone just, you know, like, like don't, don't, don't be so, so harsh, you know, this kind of soft, fuzzy, comfortable, you know, pillowy kind of love, and that wasn't it, not for Paul. Not for Jesus. Their love was the kind of love that bled. Their love was the kind of love that could endure suffering. Right? And even though there were times that were difficult. I mean, you know, it's not that these guys didn't, you know, Paul and Jesus, that they didn't pray. God, if there's any way I could suffer less, please. I think they definitely prayed that. But they didn't see it as a contradiction that they suffered and that God loved them. Sometimes we're going to talk about love. But I think for us, at least for me, when I start to suffer, I'm like, God, why? God, how could you let me suffer? I don't understand. And for Paul, that wasn't really as much of a problem. He understood that for these things, for these big things, for these things that are going to change the world, right? I mean, there are people who are benefiting from the way the world already is. They're not going to like change. When you tell people uh, really about love and what that's going to mean, how we're going to break down some walls, how we're going to break down some tribes, we're going to break down some comforts, people fight that. Right? When you think about the civil rights struggle, right? Like, like for us, it's hard for us to understand in 2019 what a big deal this was. That basically Martin Luther King Jr. and a, a lot of his followers, what they were saying is that we want us to be able to live and do things together in close proximity with each other, right? To be able to eat in the same part of the restaurant, to sit in the same uh, side of the bus, right? To drink from the same water fountain, right? But there was this idea of like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, like even Christian ministers would say stuff like this in the South. They'd be like, oh, no, no, no. God loves everyone. We're not arguing that. We just don't want to be together, right? Separate but equal, right? Come on, it's just too difficult. When you bring people together, then it's messy, right? It's just hard for us to naturally love people who don't look like us. We have a different culture. We just have a different way of talking. We have a different way of being. So why don't you just hang out on your side of town? We'll hang out on our side of town. We'll all be cool, right? And for this change that seems so simple to us in 2019, people were willing to kill for it. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his life for it, right? But it was for love. Make no mistake. It was for love. And so he says, for this reason, for this reason, what reason? He knows how discouraging it can be. He knows how people might lose heart because of what Paul is suffering. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He wants the people uh, uh, that he is praying for, the people in the churches, to be spiritually empowered. But how so? With what? With love. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
This is what it means that Christ is in us, that Christ is living with us, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth, breadth, and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's a lot here, so we want to kind of unpack this a little bit. So the idea that when Christ dwells in your hearts through faith, you will be rooted and grounded in love. It's one of the ways you know if Christ is in you, is if there is love. Right? 1 Corinthians 13 talks about you could have all kinds of great things in your life. You know, you could have prophecy. You could have healing. You could even, you know, be a martyr for the faith, to give your life for the faith. But if you have not love, you are nothing. Is Christ nothing? No. Christ is everything. Christ is nothing? No, of course not. Can you have Christ in your life then and not have love? Paul says, no way. Impossible. It's impossible. If Christ is dwelling in your hearts, you will have love to your roots, to the grounding of your being. From toe to top of the head, right? You will be filled with love. This is the hope. This is what he's praying for, for the Ephesians, right? Now, it's interesting because he starts off saying like, guys, I know you're kind of discouraged right now. You're probably kind of freaked out a little bit. You hear about the ways that I'm suffering. What do you think those concerns were eliciting in Ephesians? Do you think he was eliciting first and foremost love? Or was it eliciting fear? They're afraid. They're afraid of what's going to happen to Paul. Heck, they're afraid of what's going to happen to them. If Paul suffers like this, then what, what am I going to suffer? But he's like, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts. So you are rooted, not in fear, not in self-protection, but you are rooted and established in love, in love. In the, the very core of your being, you are love. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? Maybe you've heard me talk about this. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, um, for most of my life, this is the case. When I wake up in the morning, you know, I got to say, feeling pretty empty in the morning, right? I'm groggy, right? It's just like the most basic stuff that's within me. What's at the root of my being is going to come out. This is probably true of you as well. What are the first thoughts you have in the morning? Is it love? Or is it, oh my gosh, what's today going to be like? Oh my gosh, do I have a test today? Oh, I'm going to be late. For me, when I would wake up in the morning, so often, my first thoughts and feelings would be some kind of anxiety. Do you guys know what anxiety is? You probably heard me talk about it. Anxiety is just fear. It's fear without an object, right? 
if, if uh, there's a tiger in the room, right? You will be feeling fear, right? You will have an object. Now, if there isn't a tiger in the room, but you worry there could be a tiger, right? No tiger, no object. Then you will be feeling anxiety. That's what it is. Fear without an object. Fear of the future. Fear of possibilities, right? And so when you're sitting there in your bed, what is in the ground of your being? I talk about this sometimes. This is the world we live in. We live in a world, for many of us, anxiety, right? You feel this in your spirit, this, this shakiness, like, oh, what's going to happen? I, I don't know if it's going to be okay, right? Is that what you're rooted and grounded in? Why are you rooted and grounded in that? Is it because you're morally weak? Is it because you did something wrong? Because you're a sinner, quote-unquote? Maybe. <laughs> or maybe it's because you live in a world of anxiety. You're always being fed with anxiety. You're always being told you're not enough. You're always being told that there's something to be afraid of. You just live in that environment and everyone around you is experiencing that as well. It's what makes our economy go. It's what motivates people. Hey, you got to get a good education. Why? So you can love the world. Come on. Come on. Is that why we're getting an education? You got to get an education so you can make money. You got to make money so you won't starve. You got to make money so that you can marry someone and so you can get a house, so you can be secure, so you can put up fences, so you're going to have enough, so you're not going to starve. What is at the bottom of that? What is at the bottom of that? Is it love? Or is it fear? For us to become a people that can change the world in which you live in, which is a world of anxiety, to be different than the people who are walking around anxious all the time, I mean, so many of us, we're almost unconscious because of, of this anxiety that we're feeling all the time. We're going to need to be rooted and anchored in something else. And it is going to be Jesus. But this is also the reality. We live in a world where Christianity has lost a sense of how to do this. I, I think people mean well. I, I really do. But I think we have made... Christianity just as easy and breezy as we make love, right? It should feel good, or your Christianity should feel good. You know what? If you believe in the gospel, you don't need to do anything, right? Which, to be honest, I don't read that in the gospel. That's our interpretation, that we take grace and we're like, you can't earn grace, so therefore don't do anything. I don't think that's what the gospel is saying. But I think for many of us, we in contemporary America especially, that we crave comfort. Comfort in many ways is our God, what feels good, right? And we are compelled by that. And it is not a sense of moral failing. I'm not trying to rebuke anyone. What I'm trying to do is to show you we live in a system where we are not rooted in love. Can we at least agree on that? If you understand that, and we are not rooted in love and therefore not rooted in Christ. And I think we need to do some things differently. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I just want to uh, do something that I'm going to call you out a little bit, okay? You guys okay with that? I love you. I love you. Some of you right now, some of you right now are compelled. You can't stay off your phone. 
right? If I were to take your phone from you, you'd probably feel like being on your phone again. You know why? Because you have been trained and discipled by this world. You have been. I talk about this sometimes. I, I stop playing um, some of these phone games that I like to play. So, you know, please, please do not feel my condemnation. Uh, I am in this boat with you. But phones, uh, phone games are designed to disciple you. Did you know this? Clash of Clans, right? What, what, what are these games you guys play? Uh, I don't know. I play Hearthstone. Uh, these games where you log in every day and you have a quest. You have something you have to do every day. Oh, I got to do it. I got a quest. They gave me a quest. You do it, and you get a little dopamine hit, right? You get a little, I got a gem. I got a gem, right? And you do it every day, and you feel like you have to do it. If you don't do it, it's uncomfortable. We don't know how to do things that are uncomfortable, right? We, we don't talk about Christianity in this way. We don't talk about the cross. We're like, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross that I didn't have to take up my cross. Where did it say that? I, I'm saying that in church. But where does it say that in scripture? What, what, the way I read scripture is Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. You got to die. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to feel like doing it. Who feels like dying? Right? But it's for a greater purpose. Last week, we talked about the difference between happiness and joy. I, I don't think God is that interested in the, sh in the long term about your happiness, because happiness doesn't last. The, the little dopamine hit you get from being on your cell phone, it doesn't last. How many of you, you do your daily quest on Clash of Clans or you know whatever game you're playing, and then the next day you're like, you remember when I logged into that game? Oh, I, my cup is still full. Right? It's amazing. I want nothing today. I'm, I'm just so full of joy because I logged into that game yesterday. No, you're not. Every day, every moment, you need another hit. You need something else. Something is compelling you. And that is not love, brothers and sisters. That is not the big story. But when we learn to deny ourselves for something greater, right? And so some of the stuff we talk about, it's, it's boring stuff. It's not exciting. It's not sexy to talk about spiritual discipline, to talk about prayer, to talk about getting into the word. But being rooted and established in love in Christ, it takes learning how to do those things. Learning how to really pray. And not as a way of earning you know, grace or earning your status before God, right? And I know sometimes that's why we don't talk about it in the church because we're like, oh, people are going to get proud. When I've learned to pray, brothers and sisters, there's nothing to be proud about. I'm not even doing anything, really. I'm just being still before God, you know? So it's not a lot to be proud about, but it's something that I certainly need to learn how to do. Take sacrifice, I might really, really want to get on my phone and doodle around on my phone. But to say, in order for me to be rooted and established in love, I need to learn how to put away this phone. I need to learn how to say no to what I want in this moment. Right? It's going to take that sort of discipline. 
And so it, it talks about this idea of this bigness of God's love, right? To, to, he's praying that we may have the strength to comprehend, to understand in some way with all the saints, right? It's not just you. There's other people who need to experience this love. This is not just a solo project, but we as a church, can we undertake this task to try to comprehend the love of God, the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, <laughs> we did that real fast, but do you catch that? It's kind of a contradiction. He says, he's praying that you will have the power to be able to understand, to comprehend the love of God. Then he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That seemed like kind of a contradiction. To know something that is beyond knowing. There is this sense that it's not all intellectual. The love of God, brothers and sisters, if it is the essence of God, is by nature going to be something that you cannot fully ever get. You can't. And this is also my problem with making love so fuzzy and ordinary, that we make love something that can be easily understood. So a lot of times people will talk about the gospel, talk about you know, the love of God like this, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know God loves me. Okay, what else? Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for me. Yeah, 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 of course, okay, all right. Okay, where's my phone? Okay, Wait, let's go on with our day. Okay, I got to study. We, we talk about it in such small terms. We, and the problem is, is because we think that love, uh, understanding love like that is an intellectual task. And what Paul is hinting at is it is something that goes beyond just mere knowledge. Let, let me give you an example of what I'm trying to get at. I could tell you guys right now, which is true, um, being anxious does nothing for you. It doesn't. There's no point. Right? In, in many cases, it's just counterproductive. It's going to you know, eat away at your mental health and all this stuff. It, it's not real. And by the way, the stuff you're anxious about, right? the actual fear that you have, it's, it's not real either. Because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. right? You guys know that on an intellectual level. right? How many of you know that anxiety is not good? You shouldn't be anxious. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Pastor Steve. Great. Now, how many of you are still going to be anxious when you walk out of this room? <laughs> Maybe it's not just a matter of knowing it in your brain. Just like saying, hey, go love the world. Go love your enemies. Okay. right? You may understand that in your brain. You're still not going to be able to do it. Right? It is a knowledge that goes beyond mere head knowledge. Concepts that you can grasp with your brain. It goes beyond that. It's something that you experience. The way I talk about it sometimes is in your nervous system. With the whole of your being, when you really know that God loves you and he has you, and, and, and no matter what happens in this world, that he will never let go of you. When you know that, know that, not just here, but in your nervous system, then you will not be anxious. Dallas Willard talks about this. I like to quote this, that he says, one of the signs of being in the kingdom of God, being in the place where you know God is king, he is reigning over the whole universe, one of the sure signs is not being anxious. 
Because you are experiencing it, not merely on a head level, but with every fiber of your being. This idea of knowing that surpasses knowledge is something that uh, the church used to understand. They used to talk about this thing called contemplation. You may know we're doing this thing called contemplative prayer, right? That's where it comes from. And the funny thing about contemplative prayer and about contemplation as you know, monks and mystics understood it throughout the centuries is that uh, you know, contemplation in the, the dictionary, if you were to look it up, it's usually trans, uh, uh, sorry, defined as something like, like deep thinking. You know, like, like really, really deep thinking, you know? And so in that, you might think like, oh, I'm contemplating. You guys ever see that, that uh, the Rodin, the, the, the thinker, right? You might think that's contemplation, just, you know, I'm thinking really, really hard. You can almost see the gears just, but back in the day for mystics, that wasn't contemplation. It was almost the opposite. It was this kind of resting in the knowledge of God. You would take scripture and just kind of just, just let it just ruminate on it. You'd memorize it, you know, but, but you just kind of soak in it. And, and you would soak in it. Just, just let it be there in your mind, in your heart. You know, it, it, it's, there's not really a lot of heavy thinking the way that we think about it. There's no grinding of gears, but you're resting in that knowledge. It's hard to explain, but there is something about that when you rest in that, the knowledge of God that just kind of seeps into your being when you do that, right? When you contemplate for 30 minutes or something like that, 20 minutes, right? You are teaching your body how to be still. We say these things like, be still and know that I am God. Right? Be still and know. That's what it's talking about. That kind of knowledge that can only come from being still. When you're still, right? You're like, hey, be at peace. You're like, okay, I'll try. Okay, be at peace. Okay, and then you just keep going throughout your day. You'll never learn peace. You'll never learn stillness. How will you learn stillness? You'll learn stillness by being still. I know, brothers and sisters, I just blew your mind right there. But you will learn stillness by being still. How will you learn love? By being loved. Oh, boom. Ah, oh, drop the mic, guys. Come on. Come on now. You will learn love by being loved. How are you going to be loved? You got to let God love you. You got to let God love you. Some of you, you're just moving too fast for that, right? I got to keep moving. Got to keep doing, right? And all the while, in some implicit way, you are feeding your anxiety, because your anxiety is telling you, you can't be still. you got to keep moving. So you're like, okay, anxiety, I'll keep moving. Why am I so anxious all the time? Why? It's because we haven't learned how to be still. Right? Brothers and sisters, um, I, I share this sometimes with people. I, I, for, for some people who are new, um, I shared this at the lock-in. And for people who were here last winter... You know this because I was experiencing it with you. That in January, um, no one really knows why this started happening, but uh, I started having all these problems with my breath. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Started on New Year's night. So it was technically New Year's night. It was like after the ball dropped, about 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there in bed. I had this weird thought that I couldn't breathe. 
And then over the next few days, I started feeling like I couldn't breathe more and more. And then it, it, it was just ruining me. Just every moment, I felt like I couldn't breathe and I felt like I was going to die. And then it started spilling over into my sleep. And so every time my body started to relax, my mind would be like, oh shoot, we're going to die. And it would wake me up. And there were some nights where literally I couldn't sleep more than a few seconds without my mind waking me up. And it was agony. It was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. There were times, brothers and sisters, where I would be in bed and I would be crying. And I'm like, God, I don't understand. I thought you loved me. I thought you loved me. If you loved me, why are you letting me go through this? And you know what God did for me? He opened up the scripture so I completely understood why I was so angry. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. I never understood. I still don't understand why I went through that. But I do know this, brothers and sisters. This might seem like a contradiction for some of us. But I do know this. Even while I was going through all of that, God loved me deeply. Completely. God never left me through any of that. It was that knowledge and learning to soak in that knowledge. I mean, there are some times where I, I couldn't go to sleep, right? And, you know, I, I used to like watch a lot of shows on Netflix and stuff. It wasn't helping because it would just distract me for a little bit. But before you know it, and, and a lot of times like I would watch like really like dark or violent shows and that definitely didn't help, right? But there are times where all I would do is I would just meditate, just read Romans 8 again and again and again. Talking about how, you know, how God would never stop loving me. How God would never let go of me. And, and, and I would just have to come to know that in a way that went beyond here. I would just repeat the words sometimes over and over and over I would just keep saying yes to that. Yes, 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 yes. And as I've learned to pray, you know, to come into this place where I'm like, God loves me. And even without words, to just rest in that. God loves me, so I don't need to hustle right now. I don't need to move around and prove anything to anyone. I need to, don't need to go and make things happen, at least not for 30 minutes, Right? It's not an excuse to do nothing, brothers and sisters, but I need that. I need to be rooted in that. I need to know that at the bottom of my being, to the top of my skull, that I am loved. It doesn't depend on what I do. It doesn't depend on what is going out there in the world. It is because God is love, and he sent his son Jesus to die for me. That's how he proved it. That's the proof that we have. And to soak in that knowledge, to know that there's a way of knowing that goes beyond here. But we have to learn a new way of being where we're willing to be still. We have to learn to discipline ourselves to be able to soak in this kind of knowledge. I just want to end with uh, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I just want to leave you with this thought. What if, what if we as the church, maybe starting as individuals and maybe the individuals in here, the 80 to 100 people that make up LGM, that we learn to be rooted and established in love. We start just getting filled with that love continually as we learn how to pray, as we learn how to be still, as we learn how to inhabit a different way of being, not the way of being of anxiety and fear that this world is training us to be in. But we learn to discipline ourselves and center ourselves in the love of God. What what do you think God could do with us? What do you think God could do with a church like that? With people who aren't just so driven by the winds and waves of this world. People who aren't ruled by anxiety and fear of people who know in the depths of their being that they are loved and they have been created to love. I want us to dream a little bit as a congregation. I know you guys might think it's kind of silly. Every morning I make you greet 12 people, right? And maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like greeting 12 people. You can't make me, Pastor Steve. I'm going to sit down. Fair enough, I can't make you. But maybe you can learn. Maybe you can train. Maybe you can be discipled in the ways of love. As you learn to say no to those voices that say, hey, come on, we don't feel like it. We want to do what's comfortable. Let's just go on the phone, right? What would it look like if we were people who are not compelled by those things? but compelled by the love of God, filled with the love of God, freed by the love of God. Oh man, I'm getting excited. It's exciting. I want us to dwell on that, to contemplate on that. Praise team, can you guys come up? I think with a message like this, it just makes sense for us to just take a few moments to just soak. I I, want to read some things for you. Is that okay? And, And I just want you to not try to uh, comprehend it so much with your rational mind, but just just receive it, just soak. Just imagine that you're just taking a bath and just that the water of this word is coming down on you. It's just, it's warm and it's good. Just soak in it for a little bit. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or your school, or your work, or the pressures you have with your family. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.